Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the Also Sport Podcast. Gary Anderson gets angry about the lack of running in testing and explains what teams could have learned. It would probably be an overstatement to say that Fernando Alonso topped the third day of the first Formula One preseason test at Barcelona, given that we saw hardly any laps today. I think a total of 17 completed in horrendous conditions, started off snowy, then it rained all afternoon. The McLaren actually completed 11 of those 17 laps, so it was a very much a, a papaya day with McLaren uh, dominating the, uh, the on-track proceedings, but uh, hardly a busy day. I'm your host, Ed Stewart, and joining me first to have a look at what we learned, if anything, from today is Autosport.com editor Glenn Freeman. Now, Glenn, you had the privilege today of uh, being on Autosport's live text coverage for much of the day. So, uh, how was that? Uh, mind-numbing, I think, Ed, would be the best way to describe it. I'm amazed. Uh, we got to the end of the day, and I realised that we didn't actually, at any point, just declare a break and just say, right, we're, we're going to stop for a couple of hours and we'll come back to you. Because when we saw the snow this morning, when we left our accommodation or our top secret location, as it's called for the podcast, uh, I think we all assumed, oh, we're not going to have to do anything when we get there today. But somehow they managed to stick it out and turn it into technically a day of testing. But as you say, not much running 
and uh, I'm glad it's behind us, really. Yeah, it was certainly something of a slog, although we did have a chance to have a bit of fun with uh, some of the uh, the more left-field bits we could put into it. I just enjoyed putting pictures of Formula 1 cars in the snow into yeah, it in the morning. It was certainly less pressure than normal. You know, uh, doing the live testing coverage is absolutely flat out normally, and I think it might be tomorrow when we maybe pay the price for how quiet things were today. But yeah, it was, it was a different pace, but I think a long day still when there's not much going on. And my second guest is Gary Anderson. Now, Gary, you weren't especially happy with the lack of running today. So how many laps do you reckon you'd have done with Jordan if you were on the pit wall today? No, I wasn't happy. And, you know, it's one of those sort of situations where as a small team, you know, with Jordan as it was, and, and with Stuart, to be honest, you know, you wanted to try to be a step ahead of some of the big guys. You know, the big guys normally don't run in these conditions for whatever reason. I'm not quite sure what it is. But if you can get yourself a little bit better prepared, and at one race, the circumstances open up for you to sort of make use of that better preparation then you know you can get a reward from it and that's what really sort of helped us during my period like Rubens's pole position in uh, in Spa in 1994 for example it's just the fact that you're more armed to go and give it a shot and see what happens now as a small team it's it's probably easier to do something off off the beaten track, but um, the big teams just don't some, seem to want to join in that uh, that sort of club. So I was disappointed because last year here and in Barcelona, Pirelli spent a lot of money, a lot of time, trying to stupidly wet the track so they could run in the wet with the wet weather tires to see what was going on. And today, you know, it was an absolute failure last year because it was too hot and it kept drying on them. So they just could not keep the track consistent. And today, when they've got a, a, reasonably, a reasonable afternoon where it is raining still, um, but the track will stay wet, nobody wanted to run that to have a look at the tyres. Now, you know, Kubica went out and, and, and reckoned that it was too dangerous to run in these conditions. So, yeah, that's one thing. But we are going to have a Grand Prix somewhere during 2018 that has conditions like this. So if it is too dangerous, if there is something wrong, either with the cars or with the tyres, you have to learn that lesson and do something with it. Because the last thing anybody, including myself, wants to see is the Formula 1 Grand Prix starting behind the safety car for 20 laps or something stupid. Now, if we had a Grand Prix today in Barcelona, you know, that would have been what happened. And what is that? That's not racing, is it? That's just, that's just fulfilling TV time. So... You know, they need to react to these situations because you should be able to go out there with confidence in your car and run and, and know that you're not really risking just throwing it in the hedge unless the driver's pretty stupid. I mean, you know, we're supposed to have the 20 best drivers in the world in these things. We probably have the 10 best drivers in the world and the other 10 are playing catch-up a little bit. But those 10 best drivers should be out there and experimenting with it and trying to come up with the reasons that the cars are, are difficult to drive in these conditions. As I say, it might be the car, it might be the tyres or whatever it is, but at least let's get some information and try and do something with it to make a Grand Prix exciting when these conditions do arrive. Well, it's a good point you make about also knowing these conditions because you mentioned Runes Barrichello's pole at Spa in 94, but his pole at Manicor in the Stewart, Johnny Herbert's win at the Nürburgring in the Stewart, Giancarlo Fisichella's win into Lagos in 2003 in the Jordan. All things you've had a hand in among the, the biggest upsets of the past 25 years, all with a bit of adverse weather conditions so it shows there is something to be learned from embracing these conditions yeah if you've got sort of a, a confidence in them and, and you know for a small team to to win a race you have to you know throw the googly sometimes and that to try and work with it and see what comes out of it and you know we probably took more risks than we had reward to be honest at, at sometimes but again if you don't try you don't gain so we were always in a position where we would give it a shot and try and do something different 
and the information that we gain through running in, in the wet and testing and just getting that little bit of data together of how you would balance the car quickly. Like Spa, for example, you know, Rubens had one hit at pole position. Um, the track was drying. It was a gamble between wets and, and dry tyres. We put Rubens on dry tyres and he, he made the best of it. Eddie Irvine qualified fourth on wet tyres. So, you know, we had a Jordan in pole position and a Jordan in fourth position, one of them on dry tyres and one of them on wet tyres. So we had the car in the position that was it was reasonably competitive. But still, you were able to, with your information, to give it a gamble and try it. And it worked out in the end. And that, that might be luck or whatever, but at least at least we tried. I think Gary's probably picked up on the, the real problem there, which is, the teams are probably sat there with limited spare parts at the moment going, well, it's full wet conditions and any time the full wet tyres are required, we have a safety car at the moment in Formula 1. You know, How many racing laps have we seen completed on the full wet? They run it behind a safety car because they have to and by the time the safety car comes in, they're all coming in for intermediates immediately anyway. So it's a disincentive on a day like today because they're thinking, well, it's all, this, is, this is no longer testing in a what might be a real race situation for them because they never have to use the tyres and that's probably the bigger problem in all this I mean we had the temperature issue as well Ferrari didn't run today with Kimi Raikkonen and they said it was there was no point running okay even even if the the level of water on the track would have been okay there's no point running at those temperatures they didn't think they could even get the wets up to temperature I mean Gary what's what's your take on people using the temperature excuse if we're ignoring how wet the track was can can the teams do anything at, at this early stage of the, the the new car's life well as you say the spare parts situation is always difficult the last thing you want to do is a guy going off and damaging the car and you're not having stuff to run tomorrow if the weather's reasonable but you've got to have confidence in the guys that you're doing you're not asking those drivers to go out and just wring its neck you're asking them to build up to speed the temperature is difficult to put into tires the temperature is difficult at any time to put into tires in the wet conditions you know you could go to spa and the conditions wouldn't be much different from this. Yeah, it might be five degrees hotter, but the rain can still be piling down, and that just cools the tyres dramatically. So the the wet weather tyres are actually easier to heat up than the dry weather tyres because you're only talking about you know 45 or 50 degrees in them, and they get that because of the, the, the tread being um, a wet weather tread. It moves, and the molecules in the, in, the t- in the rubber heat the rubber up because it's moving all the time. So it's actually a, an easier thing to do. Um, so I don't understand that sort of argument, really, because, as I say, you're right about the safety car situation, but but to be honest, that's all wrong. The last thing we want to do is to see races start behind uh, a safety car and, and end up, as I say, 20 laps per session. That's not racing. Racing is about racing. And sometimes you have to take that gamble and just let it go and, and get on with it. And, you know, people say it's dangerous. Well, yeah, life is dangerous. You know, motor racing is dangerous. That's what it says on the back of the ticket. It's not dangerous to see somebody hurt, but you want racing to be racing. To play devil's advocate, obviously, Daniel Ricciardo, who did two laps, did have an Went off, off. Yeah, into the gravel at turn five. So uh, you can see why they're a little I'm, bit cautious. I'm pretty sure but. Red Bull only confessed to that off because a photographer saw it and took a picture <laughs> of it. Yeah, but, you know, whenever you consider that he did the shakedown test at Silverstone in the wet and he did the same thing there. So is there an inherent car problem with the, with the wet balance or is it a, just a tyre problem? And if it is a tyre problem, identify it and let Pirelli go off and think about it. Because, you know, if it constantly is that you cannot run in conditions like today or what it was at Silverstone for their shakedown without falling off the road, for a professional racing driver and a professional team who should be able to set the car up for the wet pretty quickly, then it's wrong that you just go out and can't drive on it. So somebody needs to learn from these things. It's not just about 
oh, we can't do it because you learn from it and you, and you develop and you try and make it better. If it's the car, okay. If it's the tyres, fine. But go and do something about it. The teams can't ask for another wet test now. Gary re- referenced last year when they, they wet the track artificially and it was a disaster. Which was, it, was a, it was preposterous, a ridiculous waste of time. And they've done it before. It happened at Harath a few years earlier as well. And, and a similar problem then. you know, when it's If it's a dry day and it's sunny and there's a bit of temperature in the air, it's going to dry quite quickly. And Formula One cars are actually incredible uh, hoovers or vacuum cleaners, you could say, for sucking the water off the surface as well. And... But the big issue here is they finally had a load of water. And as Gary says, maybe there is still an inherent problem with the full wets that they just don't work for whatever reason. But if a load of water falls on the track and nobody is going to run for Pirelli and give them any data or they can't talk to the drivers, they can't talk to the engineers, they can't look at what the car's doing, then we're never going to get out of this this process. And we are just going to keep putting it behind the safety car. We're not going to see running in, in testing when it's wet. And in a few years' time, they're going to ask for a lake to be pumped out all over the track again, and it will be a, a nightmare. You know, I I was here for Autosport Live doing that test as well, and that was as ridiculous as today was, really. Yeah, we also, um, why I'm quite annoyed is because we had a plan where uh, the media centre is, is up above the pit lane, and we can see the track pretty closely. We're looking down on the track. And we had a plan in the wet to take some pictures of the cars because with the water getting caught in the airflow, you can actually see what the, the sort of wake that we keep talking about and all our technical stuff behind the front wheels and behind the rear wheels. We keep talking about this wake and you, and you can't see it in normal airflow, but you can see it to some extent in the rain. So we had a plan to take some good photographs and try and explain what we're talking about with this wake. And uh, really, there wasn't enough laps to get organised and get it all done. So um, I'm pretty annoyed because... One of my features has gone out the window. Exactly. It compromised our run plan, which is the the most important thing. Now, Glenn, given that the teams, rightly or wrongly, seemed hell-bent on not using the track time today, why exactly did this day happen at all? There was talks right back to Monday about the possibility of changing the testing schedule a little bit, and then we all got there today, and there still seemed to be a few things going on. But why wasn't there a plan in place if they didn't want to run? to not run and then do something else? Was it just not possible or did they just dither a bit too much? Well, it's because it's Formula One. And as uh, Gunther Steiner said, getting two teams to agree to something is pretty challenging. Requiring 10 of them to agree was basically going to be impossible. We all know that this the snowstorm that we were greeted with this morning did not come as a surprise. We'd been expecting it before we left the UK um, at the weekend. Everybody knew it was coming and still they couldn't get their act together. Um but, you know, that's one of, those, one of those things. Maybe a couple of the teams who did block it had their reasons. For example, I, I put it to Gary the other day that they, if there's a small team that has a good first couple of days, they might not fancy the idea of letting the big teams have another day of running next week to catch up. You know, you want to maintain an advantage. Uh, teams have got filming days booked over the next few days between the tests. The FAA rules right now don't allow for next week's test to be extended to five days although there's a potentially some wriggle room there, again, if we had a unanimous agreement. But can anyone think of a time where Formula 1 teams have unanimously agreed on anything? Yeah, it's it's pretty rare. And when it comes to what you might term relatively last-minute changes of schedule... It's never going to happen. There, there, there's always going to be someone with uh, with an agenda to do something. And ultimately, the schedule's the schedule, and, and that, that's what it is. But what is essential is that teams don't then complain about not having enough wet running or whatever not knowing this the first time it's raining during the year which inevitably they uh, they will do i like the mercedes attitude um james allison said okay we've now got seven days instead of eight to sort our car out 
And fair enough. If you can't come to the agreement and Mercedes chose not to run, that's their decision. But they're also not sat there going, this is an outrage. We should be testing in Bahrain and whatever else. Um, so just get on with it. You know, let's hope that it does dry out for tomorrow. We're not right now. We're not convinced that it's going to be a fully dry day. But I think if we get some dry running tomorrow, it's going to be incredibly busy. Gary, in terms of what we've learned so far, I don't think you learned a great deal today about, about performance, but the thing that's really struck me is normally by day three of the first test, you know, over the past 10 or so years, we've had this much more structured pre-season testing. To get this far with such a, a, a vague picture of what's going on, it, it's really rare. So what, what have we seen? What have we learned? And is it a question of we're looking forward to tomorrow to try and validate some of those inklings we've got? Um, yeah, tomorrow's going to be a big day. But I think today the most important thing for me was getting invited to the Pirelli Motorhome for lunch and prove that their chefs are very, very good and they do make some very, very good food. So that was that was good. That was an outstanding strategy. Although, outstanding strategy. Although there was some concern at dinner about your pizza coming with, with prawns on it that were, that, yeah, that were they, not... Yeah, they needed shelled. peeled and it was a nightmare and it was so hot. But I was livid about that. That was a different, that was a different deal. Um, I think preparation is what you call there. They, they didn't prepare very well my pizza. And preparation for the teams is vitally important because they need to get all the stuff together that allows them to really understand the car. And, you know, whenever we talk about it, we're talking about the teams going out and doing, you know, between five and ten lap runs in general to, with a different sort of setup in the car, just to see how the car responds to setup changes. And that's all takes time because any setup changes probably, you know, you're talking 15, 20 minutes maybe in the garage, then a five to ten lap run, which is, again, another, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Um, so with each change, you probably can talk about knocking on the door of an hour just used up and you've only got x amount of time to do all that stuff so you're going to have to start prioritizing things now even though if it's down to seven decent days which it isn't i mean monday and tuesday here was very very cold so instead of going out of the pits and and doing one lap and being on it you were going out of the pits and doing three or four laps before you could get on it because of the tire temperature so everything's taken a bit longer which means you can just do less and um you're going to have to prioritise it now. So you're not going to be going to Australia with as much information. For any team, you're not going to go to Australia with as much information as you really like. And as I say, it's like building up a sort of data bank of, of how the car responds to set up changes. So you, you go through them all in a routine and you try to end up making sure that you know that when you get there and you've got a one-hour practice session and the car's doing X, if you do Y, you'll fix it. That's what the data bank's all about. Um, you know how to to change the setup and you know what the car responds to. So that will be limited. So it could be good because it can make Australia more exciting. Um, but the big boys usually win out of that because, you know, they have more resource, more depth to understand it a bit better. And the little boys usually suffer a little bit because, you know, they don't have that stuff behind them, the little teams. So is it good or bad? Um, it's It's going to change the understanding. But um, I'm sure the same thing will sort of happen at the end of the day. In the last couple of years, when we've been at this first test, the teams that are sorted, so usually Mercedes and Ferrari, because any team that's been powered by a Renault engine or a Honda engine in the last few years has had a, usually had a nightmare uh, during testing. But Mercedes and Ferrari had got into a bit of a rhythm where almost by sort of day two of the first test, you would see them in that afternoon they've had lunch they make a few changes and then you'd see the race the race simulation would begin and they go through all the routines so they simulate the laps to the grid sometimes they even do a qualifying session before it and as Gary says you know we haven't seen anything more than sort of five six seven eight lap runs 
this week. So, yeah, even the big teams, even the ones who are more sorted, will be way behind what they would have had planned up to now. The big question is if that puts them at a disadvantage or if the fact that they are the bigger teams with more resources and more data and they just know what they're doing means that if you go to Australia and everybody's underprepared, does that mean that still the big teams will be the ones that make the best of the bad bunch that they've had so far? Yeah, I think they've just got more resource. So the, the, the off time between this test finishing and the, and the race, they will have more resource to sort of analyse stuff and try and you know dot, dot the I's and cross the T's as such, whereas the small teams don't. But, you know, it does throw in a bit of a googly and uh, hopefully, you know, some of the small teams can, can win a little bit out of it. There's a lot of work to do because we're still seeing, you know, reality is we're still seeing probably Mercedes, Ferrari and, and Red Bull uh, leading the pack. I am pretty hopeful that Red Bull will join the back of the pack consistently, or the pack of, back of those two uh, at the front. Um, and then we're still seeing a bit of a gap to, to what could be fourth fastest team which at the minute you'd probably have to say it was a combination of Renault and, and McLaren um, you know and maybe Force, Force India fitting in there somewhere but it's uh, it's a tough little position to be and that, that fourth backwards is probably tougher than, than the, the front backwards so that's the battle as well never mind the, the big guys at the front you know coming Australia and being organised, it's going to be that little battle in fourth position who knows most about their car and gets the best out of it. So it's it's not just one battle here, it's, it's, it's two. Well, interesting question for me, and this is something I've been looking at, looking into a bit over the past few days, is the, the Renault engine package situation. They've talked about starting the season quite conservatively, so it's interesting to try and quantify that. It seems that at the back end of last season, well, in Abu Dhabi, because of reliability concerns, they had to dial back the engine. So they were they were leaving about three tenths on the table at the back end of last year. They've maybe just with a few little tweaks and gains added another tenth or so to that. So you're you're only looking at kind of a maybe a four tenth gain from the back end of last year to the start of this year for the for the Renault power unit. Still looking like they're maybe forty to fifty brake horsepower down that's the way all they're if running the, the benchmark moment. engine stays still, which we're assuming it hasn't. Well, yeah, we know Mercedes have done a lot of work and, and Ferrari will have done as well. So uh, the interesting question for me. I mean, Gary, you talked about hopeful Red Bull would close in. The chassis looks really good. But how much better would the chassis have to be than very strong cars from Ferrari and Mercedes for it to be a serious contender without Renault taking a big power unit step forward? And they, they are talking about the fact they've got this quite big ERS step down the line, but they're not sure when that will be. And the MG UK from that was meant to be introduced at the start of last season. It's still not ready. Yeah, well, I mean, just as a rule of thumb, 10 horsepower is about a tenth of a second around a, a lap. So, you know, 30, 40 horsepower uh, deficit is three or four tenths of a second, which is a, you know, a lifetime in Formula One. But it's not beyond the Red Bull car to be that little bit better and, and shut that down to a couple of tenths. And when you get that close to, you know, the big teams, they have to think sort of slightly differently because just that one mistake in one corner can cost you easily a tenth of a second. So you've got to just make sure that you do everything properly whenever it gets that close and as I say I, what I want to see is six cars at least going into the uh, Q3 in, in Australia with a chance potentially a chance of pole position and that changes the whole dynamic for all the drivers and the teams and how they do it and you know the strategy of, of how they at- attack qualifying um, but we have to wait and see because you know again nothing there's no negatives without a positive and, and sometimes I think the, the with the Renault engine for example you know, they, they can't get the peak power out of it, but they have a longer time because these engines can develop 
160 horsepower, electrically they can develop 160 horsepower, horsepower for 30 seconds um, per lap. And I think that probably the Renault just can't quite develop that 160 horsepower. But that actually means they can have it for a longer time. So it, everything's a little bit of a compromise. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about Australia because I think it's going to be fascinating to see who really comes out on top of it. What we'd hope is that Red Bull can get back to the position they were maybe before Renault turned the engine down right at the end of the year, where Red Bull were able to make a race of it. You know, they, they clearly didn't have the, the peak power for a Saturday, so quite often they would be qualifying fifth and sixth. But then if, if Max Verstappen or Daniel Ricciardo got themselves into position, maybe had a good start, a good opening stint, then we had a race in our hands. And I think if Red Bull can do that consistently from the start of the year, that, that's a really good step and that's good progress. And I think that will transform how the world championship battle plays out. Even if Red Bull aren't quite championship contenders, if they are mixing it with Ferrari and Mercedes every weekend, they are going to be impacting and possibly taking more points away from the championship contenders. So they can have a real influence. We just we need them to hit the ground running, which they've had a re- in recent history. They've not been able to do that. But from what we're seeing so far, hopefully the chassis is good enough to do that. And then Renault just need to bring enough to the table to keep them in the hunt. Well, with a bit of luck... And a little bit of favourable weather, particularly in the afternoon. We might actually start to get a little bit more data to go on for this. We'll be there to keep a very close eye on goings on. Our live coverage on allsport.com will be running. Gary Anderson will be watching trackside and prowling the pit lane to see what he can pick up. And you can follow all the news and reports on the website. And also in our plus subscriber area, you'll have some in-depth features about goings on. Remember to pick up a copy of Autosport magazine, which will have in-depth features about the whole world of motorsport as well as Formula One testing. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hey, what's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything, but losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you've got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. 
Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text CLAY to 203203. Text CLAY to 203203. Or go to bosley.com. That's bosley.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.